Welcome to Subject to Change. I'm Stephen Lentz, business coach and digital marketer. We interview other owners and entrepreneurs about their stories and businesses. Welcome back to Subject to Change. I'm Stephen Lentz, and today I'm talking with Sam Wilson, owner of Brickin Investment Group. How are you doing, Sam? Hey, I'm good, Stephen. How about yourself? Man, I'm doing great. And you sound phenomenal with that microphone. Is that mm-hmm. what, what kind of microphone is that? Uh, it's a Rode Procaster. I don't know. No, no, it sounds Rode great. Procaster. There it is. <laughs> the Rode Procaster. It's a good mic. I went from a USB mic to then go into the XLR setup with a panel mm-hmm. and everything where I can, you know. I run a daily podcast, so it, um, you know. He's got some radio quality going on here. I like it. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Appreciate so what, it. What is uh, Brickin Investment Group, though? Yeah, we buy uh, cash-flowing commercial real estate assets. So if it makes money, we want to buy it. And if it, well, if I should say if it makes money, if it produces an income, we want to buy it. And so we do that by raising money from all private investors. So anybody, you know, looking to uh, diversify their portfolio, get involved in real estate, is a great way to do it. They come in as limited partners. They're completely hands-off and silent partners. Um, and they get to invest in real estate and reap the rewards right alongside us. So it's, it's a way for us to buy large deals because I don't have that much money. Uh, <laughs> and so we need a lot of outside capital to get it done. And it's a good win-win for everybody involved. That's cool. So when you buy commercial real estate, is it all cash or do you do financing? Oh man, the money is made in the financing. It uh, anytime you can lock in long-term debt at a fixed interest rate, especially in an inflationary environment, it's a great great spot to be in. That's um, that's uh, that's, a, that's a, a strange way to not protect, but it is a strange way to, to really build wealth is to use debt. Um, I've had a different relationship with debt at various points in my life. At one point, I was completely debt-free. Dave Ramsey, no debt. You know, debt is bad. Uh, <laughs> I remember this happened when I was newer into real estate. This would have been 2015, so seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was buying my house. It was a couple hundred thousand dollars then. I was buying it in cash. And uh, I went to, you know, we we just we negotiated over the kitchen table. Oddly enough, found the house on Craigslist. It was a nice house, but needed a lot of love. And um, so I was buying the house with, you know, from the guy. And he goes, he goes, man, now is the time to borrow every penny you can. Because if you can lock in long-term interest or, or, or long-term debt at a fixed interest rate, you'll be making the money. He go, or you're, you're making money and the bank eventually will be losing. And he's probably right at that right now. People who are you know, borrowing at two and two and three quarters or three and three quarters, whatever it is, percent. And then inflation, is it published at what, seven or eight? That's published. That's not actual inflation. It's like, I mean, as long as you invest the Delta wisely, then you're making money on your money. So, yeah an interesting way to be anyway that's a long answer to your question sorry <laughs> no that's awesome so essentially you use syndication to purchase commercial real estate yeah you're right that's where that's, that is what we were talking about yes it is we definitely use debt um you know depending on the asset class you depends on what type of debt and financing there is mm-hmm. out there but yeah 100 we use debt and the other anywhere from 20 to 30 percent will bring in in equity very cool so are you solely commercial or do you do kind of like big apartment complexes and stuff like that as well yeah, and I I lump that in. You can you can split hairs. I lump that in as commercial real estate. I mean, you know, like they call that residential real estate still, but it's it's commercial because you're you know these are you know tens of millions of dollar projects. So yes, sure. that, um, that that we do we do have done some of that. We're focused exclusively on RV parks, RV resorts, and RV boat storage. 
uh, right now because um, we just see lots of runway and opportunity there. So that's where we are right now. But yeah. So when you, Brick Investment Group buys these properties, what do you do with them to make them appreciate? Yeah, it's a great question. There's two things. Um, one, well, it depends on the property. I'll say that. So in the RV resort space, which is why we love the space, there's all kinds of things you can do. The more levers there are to pull in any mm -hmm. investment, the, the, the more complicated, obviously, the investment is, the more business complex it becomes, but also the more opportunities to increase revenue. So I'll give you an example. We've got an RV resort right now under contract. It is a marina. It has a fishing guide service. It has a hundred and something boat slips. It has fuel sales. It has a marina store. There's a restaurant. There's a 40 room motel. There's cabins. There's wow. floating kitchenettes. There's a hundred space RV park. There is, I mean, there's 72 short term rentals. It's like all these moving parts, right? Mm -hmm. Which anybody's listening and they're, they're sweating a little bit. It, it, you're right. It's a heck of a lot to manage. Um, but with that, you get all these new, all these new levers to pull to go, okay, so wait, what's going on with the short-term rentals or, or with the, with the motel? Well, they run it like a motel. It's like, oh, it's a 40 room motel. Here's your nightly rate. And there's somebody at the front desk. Well, that's stupid. Like, first off, you need to get rid of the person at the front desk. You just save 40 grand a year on a, on somebody sitting there. Uh, then you're going to go to an Airbnb model and completely automate the whole check-in process. Thirdly, you're going to do dynamic pricing across all of your short-term rental assets in the property, including your cabins. <laughs> this is a funny one. You can get the same cabin today on this property we're buying here on April. We're recording this April 20, or April 4th, 2022. Yeah. You'll pay the same price today as you will on July 4th. How many of you expect to pay the same price on July 4th as you do April 4th to go stay somewhere at a, at a destination resort? No one. Yeah. You know that prices should be higher. Mm -hmm. on july 4th like it's just not that hard but that's a lot of the things that we see is that because it's such a fragmented industry it's still very mom and pop owned you just don't see some of those more professional levers being pulled so that's easy that's easy stuff for us just to go in and go okay well, we can add 10 percent to the bottom line just by some very simple software implementations not sure. to mention, not to mention automations, cutting back on the front desk. Cause right now they're setting out. If you don't show up before seven o'clock, they're going to set out your keys and call you and let you know that, Hey, Hey, Steven, your room's available. Your keys are over here. When you get here at nine o'clock, it's like, no, mm -hmm. screw that. It's going to show up on your phone. Hey man, here's your, here's your, here's your Wi-Fi door code. Yep. Show up when you want. I don't care. That's awesome. And obviously, I mean, that's a lot of work. Like you even said it yourself, there's I mean, systems to reduce the workload for that owner, but setting that up takes time and expertise and knowledge. So do you do that yourself or do you have team members or how, who is the technician then within brick and brick and investment group? Building it out. It is, it is you're building the plane as we fly it because this is a new, new asset class to us. Uh, and so we've got, we've got, and I'm relying more on my team members. So the cool thing about commercial real estate, it's a very collaborative business in the sense that there could be three of us in the same business, all buying our own assets, but yet there's unique ways for us to partner and go, Hey man, you're doing great at that. I'm doing great at this. Let's work together on a few deals. And so that's one of the things that I've done really effectively over the years is just find excellent partners to work with. And so that's what I'm doing. I've got some great operating partners that are ahead of me in the game, that that's the stuff they love. They love building out systems. They love building out the teams. They geek out on it. I hate it. I, and I'm terrible at it. That's probably why I hate it, because I'm terrible at it. <laughs> um, 
That's just true. You got to work within your skill set. So that uh, that's what we're that's what I'm doing. I mean, we're bringing on partners, and I'm bringing things to their deals too. So they've they've got opportunity right now. It's like, hey, can you help us with? Yes, I will be happy to take that part of the deal and help implement the the the, uh, the business plan. But I just got to stay inside of my wheelhouse. Very cool. So how did you get into the commercial real estate then? Like starting starting back, what were you doing initially that led you into commercial? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. Um, what was I doing? I started in single family. Uh, and I think one of the things I have struggled with in business is the scalable, repeatable, I guess it has to be repeatable in order for it to be scalable side of business, right? So I never want to be involved in a business that you can't just, once you figure out the model, then wash, rinse, repeat. I want to be able to wash, rinse, repeat. And um, I found I was doing single family homes. I was doing fix and flip property. I was doing rental property. I was doing all this stuff, man. But but none of it ever had sufficient cash flow for me to bring on the right team members sure. in order to take the workload off. And it also was on the fix and flip side, especially, I just never quite got it nailed down where it was like, oh, this is you know, we can, we can just do this on every house because every house was just wildly different. And, and so the, the short of it is that I didn't like that and I wanted to find something. And I also found that it was where is the lowest barrier to entry for people who are just getting started in real estate. It's a high barrier to entry when the deal is a $15 million deal and you got to raise capital and you got to know your attorneys. I mean, there's just due diligence checklists that are a book thick. Like that's a different, that's a different ball game. So I want to go where other people it's harder, not impossible, but harder for them to play. Yeah. So uh, did you start out as a real estate broker or a general contractor or just, like, how, how did you get into, how did you even get into real estate in the first place then? Great question. I always say it was the good Lord have mercy on an idiot. I one day was, <laughs> I sold a business in Indiana headed South uh, because the weather's better. And one day I was, I didn't know what to do next in life. I was, I had money and time on my hands and I was watching foreclosure um, watching the foreclosure publications come out and I saw that a house was going up for a foreclosure auction a couple of miles from where I was living. I drove over, I looked at it and two hours later I owned the house. So I went to the auction and bought the house and then I flipped it and I made a bunch of money on it. And I said, well, gosh, if I did it once, I bet I can do it again. And so then I just bought, I don't know, 60 or 70 more houses and did a bunch of flips and all that stuff. And then I just moved to commercial. So that's, that's how I got involved. I had about a two hour, two hour business plan, man. And then I was in business. So there you go. That's awesome. So for people that, I guess, what would you say is like the flagship property that you you guys have invested in before? And know what you want. Like you, your biggest sweetheart deal that you've made so far with brick and investment. Oh, we've got several really great ones. Um, there was one, this one's fun. It was a parking lot we bought in Houston, Texas. And we paid $1.2 million for it. It was 19 parking spaces, right? So just just wow. do the math on that. Sounds astounding. You're like, wait, what? Does. <laughs> 19 parking spaces? Not only that, but it was a triangular lot right under the interstate. So, I mean, a worthless piece of land. Hmm. But the cool thing in the parking business was that really all that matters is the what the demand driver is. Like, why are people parking there? It was this big, giant building and there wasn't there was a um passport office in that it was like the expedited passport office 
And so people had to get in because they, they're leaving the country the next day and they're, they, you know, they suddenly realized that, hey, I'm going to, you know, Tokyo tomorrow, but my passport expired last week. Normally you're going to wait four to six weeks for Uncle Sam to mail your passport back. But you can go to the expedited office and maybe, I don't know, we'll pay what the, whatever the fee was and get it back same day. Wow. And, and so people were just like flocking to that building. The line would be out the door downtown Houston. And there was our parking lot right across the street. And so we had 19 spaces and they'd pay 20 bucks to park because it's right next to where they need to run into. They'd pay the 20 bucks to park. They'd spend two hours there and get out. And so the lot would turn over three times a day. Well, at 20 bucks to park times 19 spaces, that's 380 bucks times three times a day. What is that? 1140 bucks a day that this lot's throwing off. Times five days a week. So you're talking roughly 6,000 bucks a week. Like, it's great. That's great income on a $1.2 million investment. So we had planned on holding it for 10 years, got some investors involved. And then four months later, we got an offer for 1.8 million on it. And it was like, okay, fine. We'll take the money and run. And it, it was just, it was just fun. I mean, that was not, obviously it's, you know, maybe $600,000 on it and our investors made money. It's fun. Obviously not the biggest deal we've ever done, but it was just kind of a fun one. So I think, I think those are, those are the ones I remember, you know, there's much bigger deals out there that we're working on, but it, uh, that was enjoyable for me. That's cool. And that, that leads into something else I'm going to ask you is that when you approach commercial properties, do you generally have the same exit strategy? No. Are they, are they mostly buy and holds or mostly? I mean, most, of the, most, most investors want to see an exit in five to seven years because that exit will generally provide, say, like a 2x equity multiple over that period. Right. I mean, so if you're not doubling your money in five years, it's probably not worth investing in. So with that, how you get to that exit strategy can be a variety of things. Um, it can be everything from a refinance in the middle of the deal. And then you sell it off to an institution. Once you've stabilized it, it can be, um, you know, just sell off to a mom and pop deal. It can be package them all up and sell them as a portfolio. If you, you know, if you're concentrated in a geographic region, Lots of different ways you can approach that. I think the timeline question is probably the bigger one that most people want to know is like, when do you plan on exiting this? And then how do you plan on exiting that? So that's, um, I don't like that strategy, to be honest with you, just because I, I, I call it selling the milk cow, which is never all that much fun. Um, yeah, but, yeah, but it, it's, it works for our investors because uh-huh. then, you know, they get, they get juiced returns that way. And, you know, that's just the name of the game. Sure. So when you're talking to, oh, I forget what they're called, accredited investors, yeah. right? what is your kind of arguments for why they should or shouldn't be in real estate? Uh, for an accredited investor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it depends on what they want to do. I mean, you know, there's, I, I think everybody should be in real estate in some form or another, just because it's one of the few things that, that creates just excellent passive cash flow. But with that said, you know, when people come to me and say, Hey, you know, I want to invest. There's, there's, there's a vetting process for you to invest. Like you got to understand what you're investing in. You have to have, even if you're an accredited investor, yes, you could, you're now legally allowed to make your own mistakes, but I'm not just going to let you come invest with me just because you want to get in. If you've never done a deal, if you don't understand the terms of the private placement memorandums, if you don't understand the terms of what it is that we're, you know, putting together, then, it's probably not a good investment for you because you know you lose your money. You might get mad at me, which I'll be mad at me too, by the way. But um, at least you know at that point you can come back and say, "Hey, well, you shouldn't let me come in this deal because I didn't know anything about real estate." Well, 
you're right. I shouldn't. So, I mean, those are basic criteria you have to meet. You have to have a, a pretty firm understanding of what it is we're getting involved in. Nice. Okay. When it comes to different types of passive income streams then, right? You've mentioned real estate. You think everyone should have it. Do you, are there other passive income streams that you think people should be into and depending on the age? Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I think anything that throws off, um, there's things I look for. One is that it needs to throw off consistent income. So cash flow for me is king. Um, secondly, it needs to be able to be repriced on a very short notice. So whatever it is, I don't like, there's these things called, are you familiar with the triple net lease? Mm -hmm. I'm not, not a big fan of those. Cause it's like a five or a 10 year. We might get a price reset annually at two or 3%, like not enough to keep up with inflation. So I need it to be repriced or able to be repriced easily. So in the RV park space, it's great because, you know, it's either short term or it's just on an annualized basis. So every year we can reset prices, which is, which is fantastic. So I, th that's one of the things I look for because then, then it becomes an inflation resist, inflation resistant asset. Um, so I forget what the first one I said was, but then, so it needs to be repriced easily. It needs to be scalable and repeatable. So, mm -hmm. you know, all of those things tie into it. So I'm also an investor in uh i own a laundromat and i and we're we're building out the framework to then go out and build 10 or 20 more because once now we've got our team and kind of got the model store figured out it's like okay now we're gonna do this 20 more times it's awesome one because it's very easy to manage my there's a little bit of drama in laundromats because they thrive in areas where laundromats are needed um but you know it's very easy to manage it is i can reprice it in seconds like a gas station i can sit here the computer talking to you and in, in the next 60 seconds i can reprice the entire store like just like that it's super cool um it's it's a it's an oh that was the other item that, that it needs to be in demand no matter the economic cycle so laundry clean laundry is one of the few things that people give up when it comes if there's an economic downturn people still don't want to stink um, and so when That's that fair. happens, economic downturn, you know, washers and dryers break, people aren't replacing them. They got to go to laundromats. Um, so, you know, I think those are key components. Anytime you're looking for something that's passive income, like you got to figure out what the drivers of that passive income are and mm -hmm. then see if it meets kind of some of those criteria of easily repriced. Is it recession resistant? Is it scalable? Is it repeatable? You know, and, and those are things that I look for. And that could be in any business. That's just one example business of the types of things that I would be looking for in a passive income environment. That's very cool. And I mean, I feel like I'm going back off talk a little bit, but when you like the laundromat, do you have a management team in place or a company that you use for managing your properties or is, are you bringing that in-house? Yeah. On the laundry side, no, that's, that's all in-house, hundred percent in-house and, um, I've never heard of a third-party management company for that, and I wouldn't want one anyway. It's too easy to build out on our own. I mean, yeah, that's just too easy. So <laughs> leave money on the table. Uh, I, that's one of the things I love talking with people who have experience. They're just being like, Joe Schmo who's being like, oh, build a laundromat. Like, that sounds intimidating. You're like, nah, that's... That's nah, easy old hat. Like <laughs> put 20 more on the table. <laughs> <laughs> we can do that. No problem. Yeah. No problem. We can do that. Yeah. It's fun. It's a fun place to be. It, um, yeah, it really is. You're absolutely right. That's very cool. So where do you look for people to invest in with brick and investment group primarily? You know, I, I host a daily, you're saying, how do I find investors? Is that the mm -hmm. question? Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I run a daily podcast called How to Scale Commercial Real Estate. And I think a lot of people find me through that channel. 
Uh, you know, there's lots of stuff that gets put out every day on social media on that front. So that through other podcasts, uh, do a lot of conferences and just networking and, um, yeah, that's a, that's, that's really it. I mean, that's probably the primary, primary way that people find me. That's very cool. Are there any big projects on the horizon for Brickham? Yeah, we've got three RV parks under contract right now. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of moving parts with that. We're, we're, if, if we had known that we were going to have all three of these together so close, I probably would have done a portfolio and just, and just had everybody invest in one entity that owned all three assets that would have made the most sense, but they came kind of staggered on the, uh, contract side. And so now they're going to be all individual purchases, but yeah, in the next 90 to 120 days, we'll, we'll close another 16 million in RV parks. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, it's fun. Where, where do you normally source deals from? Do you have people that actually seek you out or do you do kind of like direct mail and like, how do you, how do you source these types of deals? Great question. That, that's the other fun part about this, this uh, industry is that it, because it's so fragmented, it is, it's all mom and pop. So you can direct, go direct to owner. And that's the best way. I mean, I'm a big fan of just picking up the phone and calling them, which is how the last deal I just got with dealer contract this weekend. Just, just call them. I mean, two weeks ago, they're like, well, I'm not really thinking about selling. I'm like, well, you know, it's probably something we're taking a look at. You know, I'm, I'm a willing buyer. And, you know, if there's opportunity here for you to get, make money and for me to make money, let's talk. So they're like, okay. So we talked and then they're like, oh, we, yeah. So now we're moving forward. So yeah, that's that's it, man. I haven't done, I've never been a big fan of direct mail. I know it works and I'm sure it would work really well in this industry, but I just haven't, uh, right now or enough is coming our way that I just don't, I don't need to go hunt for it yet. It may come, but that's where we are right now. That's awesome. And Sam, where would someone find more information about Bricken? Go to BrickenInvestmentGroup.com, B-R-I-C-K-E-N, InvestmentGroup.com. All sorts of free downloads, stuff to read, blog. I mean, there's, a again, the Daily Real Estate Podcast is on that website as well. YouTube channel, all that stuff is out there. A resource that you might find helpful to your listeners is our website, BrickenInvestmentGroup.com forward slash checklist. It's a great checklist I use before I personally passively invest in other people's deals, which I do quite a bit of. Uh, but it's something where it will help you just kind of refine your deal criteria and very easily decide if a deal is for you or not. And it's something I struggled with initially in this business was trying to figure out whether or not I wanted to invest in a certain deal. Cause it's like, well, it looks great. And then you get all these deals from all these different operators from all over the country. And now you're completely overwhelmed because you got 20 deals sitting in front and you're like, which one do I put my money in? Well, this will help you just kind of refine that and help you sort through the mental cobwebs that can kind of come along with, uh, reviewing all those deals. That's awesome. If you had some quick advice for someone who's looking at starting into commercial real estate, what would you say are some big red flags that a not savvy investor wouldn't be aware of? Yeah, if they're coming in on the active side or on the passive side? Let's do both. Uh, yeah, on the active side, man, I, I would say two things. One, find a mentor, find somebody that's doing it that's ahead of you. And they need to be somebody that is what I call the go, they need, they need to be somebody that's actively involved in real estate themselves. So find somebody that is out there in the trenches and then try to get as close to them as you can, either by hiring them as a mentor, whatever way you can add value to them. That, that's, that's the first thing I would do if you're, and that'll save you a lot of money. I still to this day have real estate mentors. And just last week I was having a call with them and running through some deal specifics. And they're like, wait, 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 what if we, da, 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 da. and it was, it was a many tens of thousands of dollars 
conversation shifting back into my pocket on the way that we just kind of restructured some stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. Like I would have totally overlooked that had I not had this person in my corner. So very valuable relationships uh, those are. And then on the on the passive side, man, I mean, it's everybody says it, but it's so true. No like and trust. Bet on the bet on bet on the. Um, I don't know. I'll probably get the analogy wrong, but whatever it is, invest with the people first. The deal second. There's three things that go into it. First is the people. Second is the 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 um, market, and the third is the deal. The deal is the least important part of the whole equation. Like I would much rather buy a C deal with an A team than an A deal with a C team. It just, it, it's never worked out to prove uh, otherwise. So that's, uh, that's what I really focus on is finding the people and everybody has shiny brochures and huge returns. And I mean, that's the other thing too, is like, I get shiny brochured out. Like, I just want to see, I want to see that you've been doing stuff that you can continue to do stuff and that you do what you say, get, get, get the return, get their, get their, get their history of payments and returns to investors. Like, you know, have you ever missed monthly payments? Why? Have you ever missed your, 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 your uh, projections? Why? I mean, there might be a good story for it. There might be a good reason to it, but those are things that bet on the team. That's, that's what I'm getting at. That's gold. That's a phenomenal advice. I love that. Awesome. Well, Sam, before we end, is there anything that you wish I'd asked you or you want to revisit before we close it? No, man. Certainly enjoyed it. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. No, I appreciate you dropping the, dropping the wisdom bombs. That was good. So, all right. Well, everyone, thank you for listening. And Sam, thank you again for being on here. And they can find you at brickeninvestmentgroup.com. You got it, man. Thanks, Steven. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Subject Change. Please like, subscribe, leave a review of our podcast. And if you have any questions, if there's a business you would like to see featured on our podcast or a niche or something you want to learn about, drop us a message or an email and let us know. Be happy to, to interview someone and answer those questions. Thanks again for listening.